We've been uh, kind of our my mode of operandi at the beginning of the year for January is just really to spend some time just kind of getting us warmed up to uh, to January and to the new year. And I want to do one more time next week. We have our uh, our state of the assembly address and so forth. So we're really kind of reviewing last year and everything. Even with the pandemic, we had a lot of growth and a lot of things happening that uh, were uh, uh, some excitement, and then planning some stuff for 2021 here. But I wanna just kinda look one time, one more little thing here that uh, I got to thinking about this past week uh, with uh, all the stuff that was going on in Washington, D.C. and uh, with, the, uh, with the inauguration and with the troops being there, with the storming of Bastille, or, I mean the Capitol the week before, and so forth, and all of that that was going on, it, it reminded me of something, and I went back in my history books, because I have my history books, which are my history books from school and so forth, and I have a history book that my great-grandfather Jordan have. It ends after World War I. There's nothing in it after World War I, and it really doesn't end with World War I. World War I is going on when it ends, when the, when the editors get done, because they don't have a victor listed at the end yet so but I you know you go back and, and there's a thing that happened in 1775 six four three and it was called the shot that was heard around the world there at the Battle of Lexington and so in Concord and everything in 1775 I knew what year it was just seeing if you guys did it's okay folks it's just Sunday morning and a little chilly out, a little dreary, but we can have some light on in the class here. But uh, when that happened, the, that shot that was heard around the world, it began to set things uh, in motion, okay, that the world had never seen. And there's a phrase here with Paul that I just want us to kind of think about, look at, and bring to kind of our attention, if you will, as not just for the new year, but really of, of all time. In Acts 17, verse 1, we're going to start reading here, um, but let's read verse 6, because we'll see if you can see the term, and then we'll go back up and go down through the passage. Verse 6, And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Our dear Holy Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for the ability to come and read your word and to study it and to give you thanks for everything that we have in you, for our completeness and our sufficiency is in you. And in you alone can it rest. And we'll give you the praise and the glory in that. In your name we pray. Amen. You see that term, these that turn the world upside down or come hither also. The shot that was heard around the world. And it's very fascinating. Go back up to verse 1. 17.1. Now when they had passed through Amphiphilus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where was a synagogue of the Jews. They come, Paul and his band of labors and co-workers, they've come to Thessalonica, that great book that we have, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. And 1 Thessalonians, it, it, well, just read. And when Paul, as his manner was, went into, went into unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs had suffered and risen again, from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preached unto you is Christ. And some of them, what? Believed. You go and you read what happened over there. Come over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, I know this, you just, it's, when you get to teaching, other things kind of come through your brain. So just kind of bear with a rabbit trail here or there. Look at 1 Thessalonians 1, and look at verse Number nine, when Paul and, and the guys go into Thessalonica and they're preaching the word, he goes into the synagogue there with the Jews as his manner was. The Jews were to hear this first, that provoking ministry. And, but there's some other people in the audience as well. How do you know that? 1 Thessalonians 1, look at verse 9. For they themselves show of what mannering of entering we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Notice there's some Thessalonians, some Gentiles there that do what? 
that hear the word and they turn. If you come back over to verse 5, 1 Thessalonians 1, 5, For our gospel came not unto you in word only. So Paul's telling you what he's teaching in Acts 17. What's he teaching? Our gospel. Okay? He goes in, go back to Acts 17. He goes in, he goes in, he opens the scriptures. By the way, what scriptures would he have? Old Testament would be all that, he hasn't written anything. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John are in the writing processes. But what does he do? He proves something, doesn't he? He proves the very case that Christ, who they crucified, actually did what? what look at 17. He opens in a legend, verse 2, verse 3, opening and alleging that Christ must needs had suffered and risen again from the dead. Do you know you can prove all of that from the Old Testament? You don't need Paul's epistles to prove that. It's there. It's all through the Old Testament that they were going to have a Messiah come and die and be resurrected on the third day. You go back through, it's all there. So he opens up that Old Testament and he's teaching them. And then he does what? Come over to chapter 13 of Acts. I'm in Acts, back in Acts. Then he does something that isn't in the Old Testament. But because he has been opening and alleging and using the word of God to teach them that Christ that they crucified was indeed who he said he was. Look at Acts 13. In Acts 13, you start there in verse 16. Then Paul stood up and beckoned unto his, uh, with his hand and said, Men of Israel and ye that fear God give audience. And in Acts 13 here, from verse 16 down, you have the first recorded public message of the Apostle Paul in Scripture right here. And you know what he does? He does a wonderful Old Testament history lesson for the audience of Israel. He begins, they're in the land of Egypt, verse 17, verse 18, they're 40 years in the wilderness. Then he comes down, then all of a sudden David shows up in verse 22, Samuel in verse 20, Benjamin there in verse 21, 22 is David. Then in 23, you've got unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. Now he's in Christ's day. And then he's got John in verse 25. Then he goes back to Abraham and he goes all of this wonderful history lesson till you get to verse 38. And in verse 38, it says, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of what? Sins. Well, this man, by the way, is David up there, or the Lord, coming out of David there, verse 34, 35, 36, 37. So what's coming to them through the Lord? The forgiveness of sins. Now watch what he does, verse 39. And by him, what's that next word? All that believe. It's not the many of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is it? That's a shift in the program, isn't it? Now it's an all. Actually, it's not a shift in the program. It's a change completely. All that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of who? Complete shock goes across the room. You know why? Because what, what was Israel's program? Keep the law justified. Keep the law. Keep, you want to be in the right, you got to do the law. And what did Paul just say? No, not any longer. It's all that believe. It became faith alone right off the bat with Paul. So now come back over to Acts 17. Stay with me. Because what's going to happen here? In Acts 17, verse 3, He's, he opens and alleges to, that Christ must needs have suffered and risen from the dead and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. He pulls out that Old Testament, proves who Christ is, and then he hits him over the head with forgiveness of sins and it's faith alone. There's no activity, no law requirement. See that? And what happened? Verse 4. Eh, they all left. Said, ah, this guy's full of hooey. No, and some of them what? Believed. And consorted with Paul and Silas. By the way, well, do you remember who Silas is? Acts chapter 15, he's one of the circumcision brothers that, that Peter and the guys sent with him. 
why would Silas be there? Because they had an um, Acts 15 meeting. <laughs> He's got a letter that says, hey, what this guy's saying is right. And the Jerusalem church backs up and is for him. You follow? Okay. I'm a lot of ad lib to get through the morning. Okay. A lot of things to process. And of the devout Greeks, a great multitude. And of the chief women, not a few. The Jews, but uh, verse 5, but the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. The Jews get jealous. They see the great ministry that Paul has here. They see the, that the, little, the Jerusalem church, the circumcised church, backing Paul by the presence of Silas, saying, we were, they're doing it. By the way, in Acts 15, Peter says, we got to be saved like they do now. It's a change in the program. They, see, they get jealous. They get jealous of the great multitude. I love that end of the chief women, not a few. I mean, they, they got them all. So what do they go do? They attack, don't they? They go get the lewd men of the, lewd fellows of the baser sort. They went down and got the thugs off the corner and said, we need your help to assault. They attack. They, verse 6, and when they found them not, who are they looking for? They're not looking for Jason. See, they got intel that Paul and Silas and the guys are down at Jason's house having lunch or dinner. They go over and they get a whole group of, of the gangsters and they go down to Jason's house and guess what? Jason, Jason's like, they ain't here, man. They didn't believe him, so what did they do? They drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city crying. They, the thuggery didn't get it done, so now they go and they get the the government to come in and help. And when they go to the city, they cry, these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received, and these do contrary to the decrees of, Christ, of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they, troubled the, and they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the others, they let them go. But what did they do? Look at verse 6 there. They come in, they get the governor, the judge, the municipality, to come into the situation, but they say that, look, these that have turned the world upside down. How did Paul and Silas and these guys turn the world upside down? What did they do? They were just preaching the word of God rightly divided. They were preaching that Christ died for your sins, was buried and rose again the third day, and by faith and faith alone, that's what you need to get to have your justification. And oh, by the way, you got to follow Romans to Philemon. That's all they were doing. What a great testimony of the work of the ministry that was said here of Paul and the guys, of what they were doing. And again, just April 19, 1775 in Lexington. I get the date right. I had to write it down. I can't remember. When those guys stood up against the Redcoats, and it turned the world upside down. The shot heard around the world. Just as that was the case here in Acts 17. For Paul and Silas and the guys and the group that was to stand up and to say, here's the message. It is said of them that they have turned the world upside down or come hither also. The Jews didn't like them because they messed with their religion. Could you imagine telling the Jews in Paul's ministry in Galatians, which is an early book as well, that circumcision availeth nothing, and uncircumcision availeth nothing, and that the great division between the Jew and the Gentile, what, what availeth? The new creature. 
the new man. See, Paul took Israel's program and put it over there on the bench and said, we don't do, we're not doing that anymore, period. We're not dabbling in it. We're not messing with it. We're doing something new. These guys got upset. They march into the mayor's office. They storm the Capitol. And they say, these guys have turned the world upside down. They're here. Do something about them. So they took them into custody, heard the evidence, and then turned them loose. Because <laughs> guess what? There was nothing there. They didn't break a law. They just were doing what? Preaching the word of God rightly divided. When, you and, when I think about ministry and the work today, in 2021, coming, I want this to be said of us. Those that turn the world up, upside down or come hither too. I want that to kind of be, I would love that to be what is said of you and I. As members of the body of Christ, but in particular, members of Southwest Bible Fellowship. Because when you think about what Paul and Barnabas and, and Silas, well Barnabas wasn't there, Silas and Titus and all these guys that out doing those co-labors, fellow servants, fellow workers were doing, was really just two major things that sometimes I think we kind of get away from. One, they were preaching the word of God. Now you and I today, we have a complete word of God. They weren't there yet. They still, Paul's going to start getting revelations and information and writing, and he's going to be passing it out. He says over there to the, to the Colossians, have this redder, uh, redder, have this epistle be read by all the holy brethren. It's going to be passed around. It's going to work. So they were still developed. But you and I, we, know, we, we have God's word in a completed form in a King James Bible. So the first major issue, the major theme, if you will, is that we have... A completed scripture. The scripture is complete. We can say that. We can stand on it. And, and by the way, let me, I'll clarify for English-speaking people. I read this past week about a Bible in China, and it's, uh, it's called the Chinese KJB. It's called C CKJ, something like that, CKJB or something like that. And they're ripping it, and, and they're, I should not say rip, excuse me. They're criticizing it on some of the, the blog sphere out there because it doesn't stand exactly like a King James. Well, no kidding. It's going into Chinese. You know, they say things a little different than we say some things. So anyway, the scripture is complete. When we say that, what we are saying is all that God has to say to humanity, he has said. He said it all. There's nothing more for him to say to you and I. There's nothing left out. And guess what? That's all we need. We don't need anything else. We don't need an extra biblical anything. We have it. You follow me? Okay? It's right here. For English-speaking people in a King James Bible. Then the second major way that we can accomplish they are those that turn the world upside down or come hither also, is an understanding that the grace of God is sufficient. That Christ, that we are, as we sang, complete in thee. <laughs> Christ is all that we need. I don't need any more. Rather, what I need to do is get into the book and in rejoice in what I already have been given in Christ. And rejoice in that. Those are the, I think about those that turn the world upside down. Man, how did you do that, Paul? How did you have that set of you? And you know what he said? I got the word of God. And I got a sufficiency in Christ. Come over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I just want to look at these two themes with you quickly give you some things maybe to think about. It should be 2 Corinthians. I, I apologize. I even got that wrong on my paper. Thank you. 2 Corinthians. Look at that. First mistake I made today. <laughs> Not really. 
sorry, 2 Corinthians. First, no, first mistake was getting out of bed. 2 Corinthians 2.17. Actually, the thunder and the, the dogs and the thunder got me out of bed this morning because it thundered and the dogs went under and went, you're up, boom. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'm up. 2 Corinthians 2. Let's just look at these two major themes here. And, and honestly, I, I'd love us to be able to... Let's be that pillar in the ground of truth. Let's stand on these things. And no matter what comes up, what are we going to do? We're going to go back. We're going to let the Word of God be our final authority. That's why over the door coming in, it says, For what saith the Scripture? Uh, that, that question out of Matthew 4 is phenomenal. And let's let that be the case. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 17, Paul's talking here, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we where? Isn't that fascinating? He, he's got, hey, we got the word of God, and we're in Christ. But notice the verse. He says, we are not as what? In Paul's day, there was many corrupting the word of God. There were many, and corrupting here is not mishandling and right division issues. This is the text of the scripture. Ever in 1 Thessalonians over there, uh, he tells them, uh, <clears throat> 2 Thessalonians 2. I'll just read it real quick. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse number 2. That ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us. You see, people were writing stuff and putting Paul's name on it, sending it out as if it was coming from Paul. And you know what was happening? People would get that letter and go, wow, this is from Paul. And they were sticking it in saying, this has got to be Bible, man. This is... And they were corrupting the text. Back here in 2 Corinthians 2. By the way, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2. Here's mishandling the word of God. 2 Corinthians 4, 2. We'll say some more about this next week when we talk about our ministry focus, 2 Corinthians 4, 2, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. That is the issue of, of, of being scriptural, but not dispensational. That's coming along and saying, yeah, we believe that you should trust in Christ and get saved by faith alone, but maybe you ought to be doing something else too over here. Look at this hand, don't look at this hand, you know. That's being dishonest. That's being not honest with Scripture. But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Folks, that's what we've been about for the last 20-something years. Here's the truth. If it commends itself to you, then we're glad you're here. If it doesn't, we're glad you're here, but what are, why are you here? See, The truth is what is the issue. You can mishandle the word and not corrupt it, by the way. Corrupting is going in there and attacking the text itself, messing with the text itself. And when you do that, you know what you destroy? You destroy that wonderful doctrine of inspiration. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable. Okay? Come over to Matthew 22. That doctrine of inspiration. I always, over the years, look for a verse that kind of defines it. Defines words and you can give it and move on. <laughs> you don't have to. I used to have to build like eight verses to get to a death. But here's a verse that kind of helps define inspiration. Matthew 22 and verse 31. Now, again, verse 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, and the them here is the Sadducees, verse 23, and he says, Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. Your error started with not knowing what? The Scriptures. Then it led to you not understanding the power of God, but it started with you not understanding the scriptures. Verse 31, but as touching the resurrection of dead, now here's inspiration, have ye not read, there's preservation, that which was spoken unto you by God saying. Inspiration and preservation in one verse. Have ye not read what God spoke? What did God speak? 
Well, he spoke some stuff there about the I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob there in verse 2. Okay? That's, he spoke Exodus 3. And you know what the Lord says? Pull that copy you got out up there on that dais and look at Exodus 3. You need to know that verse. You don't know that verse. See? You've erred concerning the truth. Inspiration then goes away. Now come to 2 Timothy 3. And what happens is when you do that, then you begin to mess with the whole of the book and you corrupt it. Not mishandle it, you begin to corrupt it. So you begin to change words to fit your definition and your theology, see. And you begin to change what this says and what that says. Several years ago, after about 12 years of Bible study and discussion between everyone, there was uh, some parting of the ways and so forth. And really it boiled down to, in my estimation, and, and I sit and watch, I've learned to watch and listen rather than speak because I learn more watching and listening usually, was a redefinition of the word wrath. And it was like, wow, never thought wrath meant that. What had happened? It came from a, 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 not a corrupting of the text, but a redefinition of something. And it led to error, led to apostasy. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, all scriptures given by inspiration of who? Of God. The source of the word of God is God himself. What does John 1, 1 say? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word is capital W, title, who he is. By the way, chapter 1, verse 14 said, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. That's how you know that the word, capital W, is the Lord Jesus Christ, because what was the word made? Flesh and dwelt among us, and there he is. He's Emmanuel, God with us. But the source of the word of God is God himself. So when you begin to flip back, get to, get Acts 2 and Acts 28. When you, when you begin to think about the word of God being complete, Acts 2 and Acts chapter 28. Get two of these real quick. You have to remember that the source of it isn't man. I know what people say, oh, man made this and said that. and He, he uses human writers. We'll see that here in just a second. But the completion of the word, the word of God is all that God would have said to us. He didn't leave anything out. What's here is here for a reason. Acts chapter 2, Peter is standing on the day of Pentecost and he's speaking to them, to the men of Israel. Verse 14, but Peter standing up with the eleven lifted up his voice and saith unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he's going to quote Joel. And you know what he says? Hey, this stuff was back there. It was spoken by Joel. As it shall come to pass. And then he goes on down. He keeps working down there. And verse number, oh, where did it go? Well, come over to 28, chapter 28. He quotes that Old Testament there. Man, that's not the verse. Isn't that the frustrating thing? Acts 28. Keep reading, Rick. Verse 25. And when they agreed not, this is Paul dealing again, once again, with that Jewish fraction. Verse 17 says, And it came to pass that after three days Paul called the chief of the Jews together. By the way, that's not Peter and the boys. That's the rulers, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the ones persecuting me. Verse 25, he says, and when they, they, that, that, those chief of the Jews, agreed not amongst themselves, they departed after what Paul had spoken one word. Now watch. Well spake the Holy Ghost by who? Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah. And he's going to quote Isaiah 6 there to him. How did the Holy Ghost speak? How did God speak? By the Holy Ghost. By, by the mouth of, by the writing of Isaiah. Come over with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. You see, the source of God's word is God himself. And he uses man, men to write it down. Now, Pat, man, that's going to bother me. Can it bother me? 
It'll pass. Oh, I know why. It was wrong chapter. Duh. It was Acts 1, verse 16, where, where he says, which, by, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake. <laughs> well, not 2.17. It was 2.1.17. Sorry. Boy, I was in a fog yesterday when I wrote this stuff out for you. 2 Peter 1. You found that, right? Okay. 1.20. So it should be Acts 1, verse 16, not Acts 2. So... Oh, geez. Can we just pray and be done? <laughs> I'm going. Verse 20, 2 Peter 1.20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture of any private interpretation. Boy, does that, I tell you what, that right there gets so abused. You know that? that? It's not talking about you going over and coming up with your own understanding. It's talking about every verse in the book is linked to the next verse. A verse can stand on its own, but its design is to stand through everything. Verse, the next verse, 21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So now you've got to define prophecy. Do you know that most people think prophecy is just simply telling the future? But that is not the case. Do you know what a prophet says? Thus saith the Lord. Here's what God says. Now, it may tell the future, sure. But over there in 1 Corinthians 14, when Paul tells you to go after, when he tells the Corinthians, go after the best gift and it's prophesying, it isn't being Nostradamus and telling the future. It's sitting over there standing up and preaching and teaching that's going to be edifying and build, building up. See? The private interpretation is not, come over here, oh, this is Rick's idea, or this is your idea. It's coming in and saying, look, here's what the Scripture is, because the Scripture flows together. The Scripture flows, acts, that transitional book links that Old Testament to, to the but now, to Philemon and to Hebrews. It all links together. Now, Romans and Philemon are designed to stand on their own, but I'm going to tell you what, you should not be in Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus, until you've gone through the book of Romans. Because you have to have that foundation laid. You've got to have that, those identification truths on board. Because he says some things in to Timothy, to you and I, and through Timothy and Titus and Philemon and Thessalonians, that you'll lose your full neck, spiritually speaking, if you don't understand who you are in Christ. Because you know what you'll think? You'll think you're going to go through the wrath. You'll think you're, you are spiritual Israel. You'll think a whole bunch of stuff that Paul over here in Romans 1 to 8 said, no, you're not. Okay? John 6. John's, well, yeah, John 6. Might as well look at them. I've lost the crowd for the morning. John 6. Uh, John 6. You see, folks, when we read the Word, we're reading the very words that God would say to us if he were sitting here with us this morning. When you read your chapters, when you read your scriptures, you are literally re sitting face to face with God himself and reading. Therefore, the word of God is the source and it's what gives us life. John 6, 63, wonderful verse. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. I love that. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul tells us, when he talked there at Thessalonica, Acts 17 where we were, verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 2, 13, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us. They didn't have a book to open like you do. What'd they hear him do? Take that Old Testament scripture and preach about who Christ was and what he's accomplished. Come in and say, listen, now we're doing this so that all may believe. Obedience for all the nations is now on board, Romans 1. Why? Why is that so important? Finish reading. 
You received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. You see, folks, the word of God, the completed word, Colossians chapter 1, the completed word is designed to work. It's designed to produce life in your life. It's designed to come along and, and to produce fruit. And it's designed to come in and to produce some things in life, in time, in the moment that are designed to have an impact on eternity. Therefore, the Word of God has to be what? Complete. If it isn't complete, then you don't know if your fruit, you don't know anything. Now you're just scratching your head. The Word's complete. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 2. Well... Let's do chapter 1. Let's just go there. Chapter 1. Colossians 1, verse 5. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye, uh, ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Notice that carefully. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. How do you know you have a hope in heaven? Wherefore ye heard before in the what? The word of truth of the gospel. How do you know you got a hope in heaven? Because Rick said so? No, the, what does the verses say? You got a hope in heaven. Now watch verse 6. Which has come unto you as it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit. As it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it and know the grace of God in truth. Two things there. You hear the word, what does it produce? Justification, salvation. But then it also turned over here and produced a grace walk. Because not only does it produce the fruit there, verse 6, which is come unto you as in all the world and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you. It works over here with everybody and it's working over here. And the first step is what? Salvation, Ephesians 1.13. You hear the word of your salvation, the gospel of your salvation, right? How'd you get saved? You didn't get saved because somebody did a little thing. You heard the truth. You heard the gospel. It resonated. It commended itself to your inner man. And ba-boom, there you go. You say, I believe that. Ba-boom. <laughs> there was no ba-boom. I believe that. Trusting him, he's my savior. The word of God is the, is the source. Now look at... Colossians 2. Colossians chapter 2. I've got to get going here. Colossians 2. And verse 5. No, verse 6, sorry. As ye therefore, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. How did you, how did you receive Christ Jesus the Lord? By faith. Faith alone. Now what are we going to do with that? We're going to walk by faith, not by sight. Verse six, verse 7. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Come over to Philipp, come back over to Philippians chapter 1. You see folks, when we say we have a completed word of God in a King James Bible, again, we're not running all the verses. The source of the word of God is God himself, its design is to produce life, fruit in your life. Philippians 1 verse 9. And this I pr pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by your activity. No, it doesn't say that. It says what? which are by Jesus Christ under the glory and the praise of God. Who's doing the fruit producing? Not you. He is. As we grow, as we begin to learn, we begin to learn that the grace of God is sufficient, that Christ is sufficient. And where I'm going to be able to live life and produce fruit under the glory and the praise of God is not in my activity. 
It's in His Word working in my inner man. Come over to 1 Corinthians 15. Quickly. 1 Corinthians 15. And verse number 10. Everything that I need is found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't need anything or anyone more than that. I have to just get in the book and learn who I am in Christ. And when I do that, then I can say, my grace is sufficient for thee, what he said to Paul. Other than that, I can't say that if I think I get something somewhere else. 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Boy, what a statement of identification. I am what I am. How, how are you who you are? By the grace of God. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. Do you realize that there are some time, there he looks at those Galatians and he says, is my labor in vain with you people? You're mixing up law and grace. You want to be Israel. Actually, Galatians' problem is they wanted to be spiritual Israel so bad that they fell from grace. They didn't lose their salvation or lose anything. They just frustrated grace because they wanted to be something they were not. And you know what he says? It's vanity. It's vain. It's empty. And he says, his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. It's going to produce something here. It wasn't just emptiness. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet what? Not I. But the grace of God which was with me. What per, when Paul labored, I think about that. Come over to 2 Corinthians 12. On your way, get, yeah, 2 Corinthians 12. I think about when Paul says, I labored. Over there in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, that my labor may be acceptable. Labor, work, activity. What was, what motivated Paul to labor? He looks at the Thessalonians and he says, you know what kind of people we were? I worked night and day for you guys over there. I labored. You go back in Acts and he's a tent maker. Labor, works. You read down through, I read down through Acts and I noticed one time, and I noticed all of Paul's activity where Luke records it. He would get up in the morning, go and work with Aquila and Priscilla till about noon, take a lunch break, at lunch break have a Bible study with Aquila and Priscilla. Or he took a lunch break of a couple hours, basically, and would go down to one of School of Tyrannus and have a debate with them and discuss stuff with them. Then he would come back, finish the order of the day, on his way home, stop by the Circle K or Quick Trip and get a bite to eat for everybody and then go home, have dinner with the guys, break bread with them, and then go out and have a house-to-house -house evening with Bible study. What motivates that? What motivates the fact that he's left for dead, stoned outside of Derby and Lystra, gets up and goes right back into the same city that they just tried to kill him from? You come read the passages where he talks about those events, and he never slows down in the book of Acts like a madman. What motivates that? It was not a pat on the back and an attaboy. It was the grace of God. It was a, hey, God's grace is sufficient. Everything that I have, I have here. I don't need anything else. I don't need anyone else. I'm right here. And you know what? You can't stop me. And off he went. I got tired after that little study. It took me about three days. Exhausting. But what did 1 Corinthians 15.10 say? Not I, but the grace of God did that. I wasn't looking for a pat on the back or an attaboy, or in our case today, more likes or more follows or whatever. I'm out here doing, why? They that have turned the world upside down have come hither also. I'm out here, I got the word of God. People got to get saved and then come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Corinthians 12, you know the passage, verse 8, 
For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And we all understand, we all read that. By the way, we only read the first part of that. We, don't, we never read the whole sentence. After the word there, um, weakness, there's a period. We don't read the whole. We don't say in my weakness, in, in, I'm, uh, we don't say for my strength is made perfect. We just say my grace is sufficient for thee. When the Lord said that to Paul, Paul was pitching a little fit. He had lost a little bit of an, uh, he was having an identity crisis here. And you know what the Lord did? Did a little Denozo slap on the back of the head and said, pay attention here. Remember what? My grace is sufficient for thee. Remember who you are, Paul. Remember what's going on. So what does Paul say? Most gladly, therefore. Most gladly, therefore. Gladly. Not, not drudging, oh, I got to do this. Gladly. I would, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Come over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. My grace is sufficient. Paul, remember, you and I need to remember that that issue of sufficiency, that in our weakness, he's strong. Doesn't have to be an infirmity. Doesn't have to be a bad day. You know? It could be just life, just getting up out of bed. <laughs> just sitting at the dinner table, having fellowship with, with other people. It could be anything. His grace is sufficient. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, in the middle of the giving, talking about giving and money, he says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. By the way, the good work here is giving. It's supporting in this case, in the context of poor saints of Jerusalem, you can't do that today. So you support the poor saints at the local assembly. <laughs> okay? But notice that. How much grace? All grace. How much sufficiency? All su that word sufficiency, able to stand alone, lacking nothing. I have it all. All sufficiency, all things, all, every good work. Colossians 2, verse 10, you know the verse, I am what? Complete in him who is the head of all principalities and powers. He's, I'm complete where? In him. Ephesians 1, verse number 3, you go over there, you know the verse, I have what? All spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You take your time. Come over to, you're in 2 Corinthians. Come over to chapter 3. You take, you take your, you take Ephesians 1, you take Colossians there, and you know what you begin to do? You begin to look down through there. You understand chapter 10, verse 13 of Corinthians. When, when trouble comes, you're okay. You've been fully equipped to bear through it, to get down through it. When trouble comes, it's common to man. We understand that. Boy, what a sufficiency to know, isn't it? What a grace thing to know, an understanding that when, man, when trouble comes, it isn't God testing me. It isn't me being a bad boy. It's just the facts of life that happen, and I have the ability to work through it. Why? Because five, Romans 5 verse 1, I have peace with God. I'm not at enmity with him any longer. I'm in his family. I'm there. Chapter 1 of Ephesians verse 9 there. I, I have, I, I, his will's been made known to me. I, all, all that he's going to do is revealed to me. I don't have to worry and try to find out what the will of God for my life is. I know what is his will. Have all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. <laughs> Next month in the February uh, Bible conference out of Southern California, in person has been canceled. We're going to do it over Zoom, I think, is what the plan is. My title, my message is, is has God's will changed? The answer is No. That's my, it's going to be the shortest message I ever preached. Okay? It's no. Why? Because what would he have? He would have all men be what? Saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. 
You look down through Colossians, Philippians 4 there, and the, and the issues of prayer. How, how, what is prayer about? Everybody struggles with prayer. You're talking to the Father. What are you looking for? What's the answer you're looking for? That the peace of God would keep your what? Hearts and minds. Lord, how does this verse work in the details of life? Tremendous sufficiency. Ephesians 1, Colossians 2, you know what? You're forgiven. Boy, isn't it great to know you're forgiven? You don't have to dive on the pew and, oh, God, forgive me. And You're forgiven. Isn't it great to know that you're accepted? One of the biggest issues in, in, in all of humanity, in human psyche, is the issue of acceptance. You know you've been accepted. You're one, you're a, you're, you are the beloved one. Only you and I can cry, Abba, Father. No Jew outside of the Lord Jesus Christ ever cried that. They, they couldn't, but you and I can. You see, folks, his sufficiency is all there. We just have to stand in it. 2 Corinthians 3, verse number 5 here. A tremendous little verse just kind of stuck up in all of this. He says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves. <laughs> you think you're something else? You ain't nothing. You think you can do this on your own and get through it? I've already told you, chapter 1, we couldn't get through it. But our sufficiency is of who? God. Where's our sufficiency, folks? It's not in ourselves. We'll never get there. It's in who we are in Christ. So as we begin the new year and as we move for, forward, I would hope that it could be said of us, those guys that turned the world upside down are coming again. Here they are. Because we have stayed with those two issues. We have the completed word of God in a King James Bible for us, for English-speaking people. And we believe that the grace of God is completely and totally sufficient. We stand there. We will turn the world upside down. It'll just happen. If we preach Christ died, buried, and resurrected, and faith and faith alone in that, and that what God's doing today is the church, the body of Christ, in that, everything else will just... We'll be attacked, don't get me wrong. Grievous wolves enter in from without and from within. They were attacking them in Acts 17. But you know what was said? Boy, what a great moniker to be said of us. They stood for the truth. They were a pillar in the ground of the truth. Okay? All right, sorry for all the little myth flubs, but I'm human, so we'll go home and take a nap. Okay, practice grace. There you go. All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for everything that we have in your Son, for the all-sufficiency in all things, for every good work. In your name we pray. Amen. All right.